Hello, everyone. Welcome to God Talk with Tara. This is Tara. I'm glad you're with us tonight. We are going to begin, as always, with prayer, and then we're going to hop on in. Father God, thank you so much for the day. I thank you for conversations and community. I thank you for people, Lord God, that you've given me to love and the opportunity to know and new friends and mm, lifelong family. Lord, I am so blessed. Father, I pray that you would make me small tonight, that you would help me to recede so that Jesus might come to the forefront. And I pray, Lord God, that those who hear the words that I speak tonight would hear not my voice, but yours. Lord God, it is a privilege that you call us to be your ambassadors, that you call us to be the hands and feet and heart and light and love of Christ in the world. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to do that tonight, that you would open ears, Father, to hear the words that you have for those who are listening to this wherever and whenever that may be. I pray that they would hear your words of encouragement and grace, your words of expectation and love. And I pray, God, that we would all step into the call to be your kingdom here. We ask this, Father God, in Jesus' name and by your spirit and all for your honor and glory, Lord. Amen. So this morning, I am back in the habit of, of waking up with the wake-up call with Seed Bed and my son, Kenny. I was actually really delighted to get back into that. And um, Dan Will is still walking us through the Lenten series, Jesus in the Wild. And he's doing a really fantastic job. And we're, we're on a section of Luke. So for those of you who haven't listened to parts of this previously, we are walking through Luke 4, 1 through 12, and it's actually probably a little bit longer than that. That's where we've gotten to today. Um, but we're walking through the section there in Luke chapter 4 that describes how the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness after his uh, baptism at the River Jordan with his cousin John. And we've been stepping through this kind of a piece at a time. So today is titled Jesus Answered Part 3. And we're getting to the end of this account, which makes sense considering it's a Lenten season. And we will be coming into Easter at the end of this week. I'm very excited about that. And we get to Jesus's response to the devil when the devil says to him, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and it said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So we're on this little part here of Jesus answered and, and Dan was talking about how that means an immediate response to something. That it's not simply words spoken. It is it is Jesus's immediate response to the devil is a rejection of what it is he's asked him to do. He doesn't entertain the notion. He just rejects. And we come down to the end of this. Because what Dan was saying was that um, if we entertain the temptations that come to us, if we stop a moment and linger and listen to the devil, that opens the door for us to falter and fail. And the question he asked today was, can you recount a circumstance where you delayed obedience to God when he says to do something and experienced a missed opportunity? And, and how do we return to obedience? 
But as I was listening to this and as I was talking with Kenny about this, um, what I discovered is our, our neither one of our thoughts went to times where we had delayed obedience to God, though both of us are sure that we've had those experiences. We were drawn more towards those times when we failed to reject the temptations that, that the devil would put in front of us and where our response when we answered uh, the devil's temptations, we did not answer immediately. We delayed that response uh, and found ourselves in trouble. And as we were talking, it brought up some things from our past, uh, past hurts in the church. And he made this comment um, that we really kind of have a feeling that we're going to have a hunky-dory life without struggle. And I was like, that's not really what happens when you're a child. So me coming into the church when I was young, I knew who God was, but I didn't really because I was like eight or nine years old. And I took the the things I was told seriously. So I knew that Jesus had died. So obviously life was not necessarily going to be sunshine and, and lollipops. There was going to be hardship to it. There was the concept of noble sacrifice. I read a lot of uh, fantasy and so the idea was not that we would be suddenly in this trouble-free life, but the idea was that we would be surrounded by other Christians who were moving in the direction of becoming more Christ-like and of, of being in community to one and, and with one another. And I think that that is one of the things that we miss in today's in today's church. So we have a very, especially in the West, I've not been to churches outside of the West, so I can't speak to that. But in the churches that I have attended and been part of here in the West, one of the most common struggles I see for Christians is that they're very individual in, in their practice of, of faith. And whether or not they show up to church has to do with whether they feel like it or whether they have conflicts and not whether or not it is expected of them, not just by God, but by their community. We don't place any expectation on those who are coming into the church. And because of this, oftentimes new believers don't take their faith as seriously as they should. And it's not their fault because they come into it very excited about this conversion that they've had, very excited about this encounter with Jesus Christ that they have had, and very excited to see what is going to happen in their lives. And then they're surrounded by people who are part-time Christians and they have no expectation placed upon them. In other words, they have no responsibility to anyone but themselves and to God. And that's really not what scripture says about who we are as Christians, but it is what we set people up with when they come into the church. Now, that's one of the things that, you know, I've, I've said something about this before with Methodism in class meetings that in the beginning of Methodism, when John Wesley began the Methodist movement, one of the criteria for being a part of the Methodist movement ongoing, so you could come into the class meetings and, and begin to be part of the Methodist movement without this accountability, but 
in order to continue as a Methodist, if you wanted to actually remain a part of the Methodist movement and fully participate in the life of the church, you were required to go to your small group meeting and to be an accountable community with other Christians. And it was an expectation. And if you did not meet that expectation, you were fully aware of the fact that you would no longer be a part of that fellowship of believers. She would no longer be a part of the Methodist movement. You would be barred from joining in the larger society move, uh, meetings and the love feasts and those larger celebrations because you were not participating in the day-to-day -day life of the community that allowed you to grow and to become more Christ-like and more importantly, that allowed others to learn and grow with you. And I think this is where I kind of am tonight. This is where the Lord has, has led me tonight is this concept of responsible community as Christians. So oftentimes we might talk about community in the sense of, you know, we, we need community so that we're not depressed and isolated and lonely. And those are all very true things. But one of the things that we have forgotten as Christians is that one of the best apologetics for the Christian faith is the overt presence of the body of Christ behaving as the body of Christ. So I'm going to look at a little bit of scripture that kind of talks about this for us. We're going to start with 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're not going to go very far in this, but we're going to We're going to look at this first verse. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So this is what Paul is writing to the Corinthian church in chapter 11 in, in 1 Corinthians. Uh, now, he goes on to talk about men and women and, and all sorts of things. But what he is encouraging here is that he has shown the people of Corinth what it looks like to follow Jesus. And he is encouraging them to imitate him as he is following along with Jesus Christ. Now, why is this important? We can't imitate somebody that we have not seen. So I want you to keep that in mind because this is going to connect a few things together. We're going to jump backwards here to Deuteronomy. And we're going to look at Deuteronomy 6, chapter or chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Now, this is kind of a familiar passage. It, it is the beginning of what the, the Hebrews called the Shema, or the, the prayer that they would pray to God daily. Uh, and I want you to listen to what this is saying, and we're going to kind of get, get here too. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates." 
So we have here this prayer that, that the Hebrews actually repeat kind of regularly, this beginning part, the hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you should recognize that next verse. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So this brings us into the Gospels where Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? And this is the greatest commandment, according to Christ, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So we have this great command that God has given to the people, and the way that he describes them communicating that from person to person and from generation to generation is that you act out these commands. You teach them diligently to your children by talking of them wherever you go and by living them out with whatever you're doing, whether you're sitting or walking or laying down, rising up, going out. Uh, there are other passages that, that expand that concept of it being everywhere you go that you act in accordance with the law of the Lord that he has placed on your heart. And you do that not only because God has called you to do that, but because it is an example to those who will see you. This is how we teach our children is by demonstrating how we are to live and how we are to believe and how we are to love one another. And so lastly, I'm going to come over here to Hebrews and then we're going to kind of talk a little bit more about this. So. In Hebrews, we're in chapter 10, and it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the author of Hebrews here is telling his audience that because Jesus Christ is their high priest, because they have been washed clean of sin, because they have been drawn into community with God through the blood of Jesus Christ, they are to hold fast to the confession of hope and stir one another up to love and good works, meeting together to encourage one another. So you have this picture here that as Christians, it is our responsibility. And this is what I want to come back to. It is our responsibility to encourage one another, to gather with one another, to set the example for one another, to not be a stumbling block for one another, to examine our behavior, not simply in light of whether or not it is a sin, but also of whether or not what we are doing is 
edifying those around us, is encouraging the body of Christ to love and good works, is encouraging one another in their discouragement and their isolation? Are we setting an example that looks different than the world around us? Because if we're not, we're failing at what we've been called to do. We're failing to love God with everything we are. If we are not in turn demonstrating what that looks like to the world around us. And it's not because we're afraid of we're sinning and we're falling. God does not ask us to walk in fear. When it talks about how perfect love casts out fear and that that has to do with punishment, God wants us to understand that Jesus Christ went to the cross to free us from sin and the death that comes with it. And in that freedom, he calls us to not keep turning back to the things that kill us, not because it hurts him, though it does, and we need his forgiveness, but because it hurts us. And as we do that, we hurt others because we lead them astray. When we are in pursuit of sin, we will draw others into pursuit of sin with us because we set an example that shows them that that's okay. When we isolate ourselves from the body of Christ, however, we also set an example that says we are not responsible to the people around us. This is one of the biggest problems that we see in our society today. Uh, when you look at things that we are pressing to legalize and when you look at the ethical values, even of many Christians, what they will say to you is, why should I not be allowed to do this thing as long as I am not hurting anyone else? And that has become the criteria for ethics in our culture is, am I causing harm to anyone else? Doesn't matter if I'm causing harm to me, as long as I'm not directly hurting anyone else, I should be allowed to do whatever I want. And God is not going to have anything to say about that because it's not about, um, he just doesn't want me to, to hurt anyone else. And this is really how a lot of Christians understand and view what they are doing. Is as long as I'm not hurting anyone else, it's okay. Even if I know it's a sin, it's okay because Jesus died for my sins and I am forgiven and I will be forgiven. And so as long as I'm not hurting anyone else, it's okay for me to do whatever it is. And this is not the picture that we have, but as long as we feel like we are only responsible to ourselves and we are only responsible to God, we will continue in that mentality that we don't have to be worried about how what we do affects other people as long as we're not directly causing them harm. So there's another passage and, and I'm don't remember it off the top of my head. I believe it's somewhere in Corinthians where Paul talks about not eating meat that's been sacrificed to idols, not because you believe it is sinful for you to eat meat that's sacrificed to idols because you know that idols are not particularly valid things, that those rituals mean nothing because there's no power behind those idols. And so as long as you eat the meat to the Lord, it is not sinful for you, but, but if you eat that meat in front of someone 
who does not have that understanding and believes it to be a sin and you as a Christian are doing something that they believe to be a sin and then they do that thing thinking it is a sin, then you have put a stumbling block between them and God. And it would be better for you not to do the thing even though you know it's not sinful for you to do that thing, it is unloving toward your brother or sister who is made in the image of Christ, who is on their way to God, who is learning and growing and being made in the image, who is looking for someone to imitate, who is looking for a mentor in the faith to help guide them and grow them and encourage them to become Christ-like, if you do things that cause them to stumble, you are not being loving and you are causing harm to your brother and sister. And so this is one of the things I used to get very frustrated because this is one of the passages that, that um, oh gosh, the temperance folks point to. So people who advocate for abstinence from alcohol as a religious requirement. I don't have a problem with people advocating for, for abstention from alcohol in general. But for, for a Christian to state that scripture tells us we're not allowed to drink and that you shouldn't be allowed in leadership if you drink and it should be a requirement of denominations to not allow alcohol to to be a part of the lives of their congregants because there are some people in the world who are alcoholics. I have an issue with that because that's not what scripture says. But I can understand where it comes from when we look at this passage, this idea that we are not to become a stumbling block. So the things that we do, even though we don't think they are hurting anyone else, we have to be aware of how they impact our witness in the world. So as a Christian, if I go out speaking of the love and the grace and the joy of God in Jesus Christ and my freedom from sin, and I dress scantily in a fashion that causes my brothers to lust, any reasonable brother to lust. So here's the deal. If I'm dressed as a normal human being and I happen to look pretty and there's lust in my brother's heart, that is not my fault. That is a control issue on his part. And we are each called to control and submit our thoughts and our, our, our actions to the Lord. That is an individual thing. But if I happen to know that I'm sitting down with somebody who is an alcoholic and who is prone to falter, if they are around other people who drink and I decide that I'm going to have a beer, that is not okay for me to do that, right? It is not okay for me to wander around in front of a young man who I know has a problem with pornography half-dressed. These are things that we as Christians need to be mindful of. 
when we are dealing with other people and we need to be dealing with other people. So this is the flip side of that concept of being in responsible community. So for the one side of that, we as Christians need to be mindful of what we do and we need to be mindful of seeking the Lord. If it's something we're unsure of, like the alcohol thing is oftentimes something we are unsure of, or I might be unsure of in a given situation. I personally don't tend to drink. I don't really like alcohol that much. It's not a religious issue. But there are circumstances where I wouldn't drink because I would not be certain that it would not cause harm to someone else in the situation. I think that the Lord needs to give us direction and we need to be open to his leading. And that's maybe tomorrow's conversation because that's a that's a whole different whispers thing. Um but it's not just about our bad behavior that we're not supposed to do anymore that can lead people astray when we're not paying attention. It is also about, more importantly, our good behavior. So as Christians, we are called to be grace-filled, to speak truth, to love one another well, to imitate one another, to teach our children, to teach our children in faith, and to do these things, it is required for us to be present. So one of the most interesting shifts in my faith walk came when I had been out of church again for a while. Um, I had come back to God after my second marriage had ended in a complete and total mess. Um, the Lord had called me back in a place where I was deeply broken and deeply devastated at how things had gone in my life. And I had come back to God and I was in a much better place, but I was still not really um, cemented into church. I wasn't really part of the community because I was still coming to church with the sense that is very typical of American Christians. I wanted to be someplace where I was getting fed. I wanted to be someplace where my children had a good program and I wanted to be someplace where I felt like God was taking care of me. And it was very much all about me when I went to church. It was all about what am I getting out of this? Was it a sermon that made me feel good? Did it apply to my life? Um, all of these different things. Was the pastor entertaining? Did I like the music? Did it help me worship? And what would happen is I would go to church and I would be consistent for a little while and then something would upset the schedule and suddenly I wouldn't be in church anymore for an extended period of time. And I had gone through that cycle for a while. Like I had been really, you know, back and forth through that cycle. And finally, when my son convinced me to go to church at Ballground United Methodist, I walked into church and I sat on the back row. And the question I asked myself and God was not, what am I going to get out of this today? It was, okay, Lord, you have brought me here. What do you want from me? Whatever it is, I will do it. And from that point forward, I began to grow in faith because I began to recognize that the Lord was bringing me into church every Sunday morning, not because 
I was supposed to get something out of it, I would get something out of it. I always grew and, and, and got something from being in church. But the point of me being there was not for me. It was for the body of Christ because the Lord drew me there for a purpose. He had me there because he had put, put things in me, um, experiences and thoughts and gifts and understanding that were designed to encourage the body of Christ. It was designed to grow the kingdom of God. And I was responsible for showing up. So this is one of the things I love about the story of Gideon in the book of Judges. If you look at the story of Gideon, God basically tells him, leave your thousands of soldiers home. You're going to go with 300 people. And in the end, you're not actually even going to engage in battle. You're going to put on a show and I'm going to do the work for you. And at the end of the story, they have done nothing to actually battle the Midianites that were, were trying to overwhelm them, they simply showed up and God did the work. And that's what we're called to do. We are called to show up as willing vessels for the Lord to move and grow and work. And we are called to move in obedience to what he asks us to do in those various situations so that the people of God can grow wherever they are. And so that he can draw people to him. Because when the, when the people of God come together, whether it is on Sunday mornings as a full group or whether it is in people's homes or at small groups or out in the community at your job. When the people of God show up as Christians, as Christ followers, as the images of bearers of God, as ambassadors for the kingdom, when we show up, we allow God to move through us. And as we imitate Christ, we give people something to imitate that looks different than the world around us. We help those who are stumbling to stand firm. We help those who are young and don't know what it means to be a Christian yet to see what that looks like so that they can walk in confidence and faith as they are made holy because we are holy as he is holy. And this is how the kingdom of God grows in the world. This is how we combat the darkness. The word says that our weapons of warfare are not carnal, that they are not the same as the weapons of the world, that the weapons of our warfare are spiritual and they are for pulling down strongholds. We are given the gift of being able to be made holy by a holy God. So that we can battle against the unholiness and the darkness in the world around us. But that doesn't happen if we don't understand ourselves as part of an accountable, responsible community. And we're not responsible in the sense of, oh, I'm such a good person and I do X, Y, Z. And we're not responsible solely to God. We are responsible for showing up. As part of the community of God, we are responsible for setting an example that others can follow as they are looking to find Christ. We are responsible for following Jesus ourselves so that the people coming along behind us, that the Lord has 
told to follow along where we're leading them, that we are guiding them where they're supposed to be going. We're not guiding them off into the darkness where they're wailing and gnashing of teeth. We are guiding them toward Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. That is our goal and that is our purpose and that is what we are called to be as Christians and that is not a part-time job. It is not a, I can show up twice a week to, to church on Sunday morning and once a month or twice a week to church, twice a month to church and once a week to, you know, my small group or once a month to my small group and that's it. That's good. I'm done. That passage in Deuteronomy doesn't say, um, when you go to the synagogue once a month, that's enough. You're all good. It says you're going to teach your children diligently and you're going to talk when you sit in your house and walk by the way and lie down and rise. And you're going to bind these as a sign on your hand and between your eyes and on your doorpost. What this is describing is a life dedicated. A life dedicated to loving God with all our heart, soul, and might. And what Jesus tells us in the New Testament is that if we love him, we will obey his commands. And his command is to love one another, to love God, and to love our neighbors. These are the commands of Jesus Christ. And that love is an active will that desires the best for them. And so what is the best for them? The best for them is to be holy as he is holy so that they can be in relationship with the Father in heaven. To come to know Jesus Christ as Lord in their lives and be sanctified by the Holy Spirit moving in them and growing them. That is what is best. That is God's best for his people. That is God's best for his creation. And so that should be our desire for people is what is best for them because that's what we desire for those we love. And so we should set the example of what that looks like. And we should help them to find Jesus by following him well so that they have something to imitate and understand and grow. So... That is my words for tonight. That is the Lord's words for tonight for us. Um, God, thank you for your community of faith. Thank, thank you for your people, Lord God, who love one another. Thank you, Lord, for the stumbling and the brokenness and the recognition, Father, that none of us are perfect yet, that you are working on perfecting us. Lord God, I pray that we would begin to understand ourselves as part of a responsible community, that we are responsible to one another, that when we are absent, Lord God, it causes harm to the body, that when we are absent, Father God, that we have deprived your body of things that you have given us to share, of gifts that you have given us to share, of relationships. We have deprived ourselves of those relationships, Father, and we have deprived the body of an example of what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. Lord God, I pray that we would see ourselves as full-time Christians 24-7, that that's who we are. It's not something we put on and take off. It is something, Father God, that you are creating us to be from the inside out, that you are bringing about the sanctification of our 
bodies, our minds, and our souls so that we would love you with everything we are. And that that would allow us, Lord God, to walk in the joy and the freedom that radiates into the world so that others will see you and know you and find you. Father, help us to be different. Help us to be different, Father, than the culture around us. Help us to be different than we were this morning. Help us to be different people, Lord God, more Christ-like every day, so that we can say to others with confidence, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Help us to do that, Lord God. Help us to be an example and an encouragement as the day draws near. We love you, Lord, with all that we are, and we just ask that you would bless each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed and be a blessing.